Energy. Energy, energy, energy. <laughs> Did you just say Rochelle Obama? Michelle. Michelle. Okay, because I thought you said Rochelle Obama. I know I have a thick accent. <laughs> What's your name? Sarah. <laughs> These people are calling me Mustang. Because everyone says to me, <laughs> the people call you Mustang? <laughs> And I'm like, not twice. <laughs> I use my fake name. <laughs> What's your fake name? Sally. <laughs> hey guys, how are you? It's just me this week. Uh, Sarah is out sick. Uh, I think she's probably faking it because she knows I'm better at this podcast than she is. So I uh, hope you get well soon, Sarah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I feel really lucky doing this podcast um, because I've met like some really, really cool, amazing people and spoken to some really amazing people on the phone and stuff. Um, and, you know, people that come to mind, uh, one of my idols, Jill Sabule. Um, Shea Diamond was just incredible. Um, Brandy Love, of course, who I I love Brandy Love. She's just terrific. Um, but one of these people that I've met recently um, is a lady called Eleanor Carey, and she's from Queensland, which is really cool. And she came around to my house. It must have been a, would have been about a couple of weeks ago, um, and we recorded this this interview um, in. It was in my lounge room. I like to call it my studio when the microphones are set up, but it's really just my lounge room. Um, and that was amazing to actually meet her because she recently um, competed in a world record-breaking ocean row, um, which is madness. Uh, I don't know if some of you would know, but it's called um, the Great Pacific Race, um, and it's thousands and thousands of kilometers like 4,000 kilometers um these people have to row across the ocean and it's intense you know it's like the ocean it's like friggin intense like you know I was kind of thinking like mythical sea creatures like you know octopuses like just reaching up and grabbing the boat but apparently that did not happen um and it was more of a mental battle than a battle with mythical sea creatures um, which is good to know, but no, Eleanor came around and, and she talked to me about it and it was, it was insane. Like she's kind of one of those people that she dreams really big and then she follows through on those dreams and along the way of that journey, I guess she inspires a hell of a lot of people. Like it, it really, really is incredible. And, and she was so incredible to talk to. She's also um, the co-founder and CEO of The Generator in Bundaberg. Um, and I guess which, I mean, guess that would make her an entrepreneur. Um, so, I mean, what else, what else can she actually do? Like, it's, it's pretty cool. Like, it, it's kind of like an innovation hub and um, it kind of just supports startups and entrepreneurs and remote workers and freelancers. So, like, she's, like, just on it. And, and really, really cool. So I'm not going to say too much more because she really explains it a lot better than I do as I stumble over everything. Um, but I really hope you enjoy the chat and 
I'm going to tag her in the Instagram post um, so you can follow her and just like find out all these cool things um, that she did and, and all the kind of stuff that she thinks. Um, she's a Queenslander as well, which is really, really cool because um, I don't get to interview many Queenslanders, funnily enough. Um, but I do also just want to tell you that it has nothing to do with Eleanor, but I've been listening to Christine and the Queen's, um, the new album, uh, Chris, this week. I've literally been obsessed with it. Um, and I was also pretty obsessed with The Haunting of Hill House. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have watched that, but that was pretty amazing as well. Um, once again, thanks for being here. Um, let five friends know that you're listening and that you love it. Um, and yeah, let us know in the comments uh, if you want to hear from anybody. Um, if you've got something to say, I really value all of the DMs um, that you send. And um, yeah, we're, we're really keen to hear from you. And yeah, let us know um, anything, actually. We're just happy to know anything. Um, happy for a chat as well, if you feel like chatting away. Um, yeah, so we're, and actually, we're kind of actually nearly at the end of... Um, season three which is pretty insane um we've got a couple a couple more pretty great episodes coming up as well but enjoy Eleanor um she is absolutely one of the most inspiring and terrific people that I've met and I'm really really glad uh that I got to actually sit down with her and I think that um you guys also really really love it as well so be inspired have a great week and talk soon so you guys, you, you live in Bundaberg. Live in Bundaberg, yes. So I wasn't born there. I grew up down in Stanthorpe. Uh, oh, a lot Stanthorpe. of a lot of wineries for very few people. So it yeah. was not as exciting growing up, but very exciting to go back and visit now. <laughs> yes, it would be. How is Stanthorpe as um, a gay person? Look, I I wouldn't say that I was completely aware that I was a gay person <laughs> um, at the time. <laughs> Look, for me, it took me it took me a long journey of self discovery before I was, before I was ready to admit that to myself. Um, but I do remember the very first time that the thought popped into my head, and I was I was I think I was in about year nine, would have been like fourteen, and I was late to class, which is very unusual. Like I was a very studious, like well behaved kid. Yeah. Both my parents were teachers, so my dad was at the high school that I was at. So, yeah, being late and being misbehaving was just not in my nature at all. Um, And I remember I was walking past the canteen and it was like I hit a wall and it was like this voice just came into my head and it was like, you're gay. And I was like, (laughs) and I just remember I stopped walking and I was just like, no. And then I just like put it out of, I just put it completely out of my head, just like carried on. Wow. And then I don't know. I, and I don't know, I can't remember when I next had a sort of a conscious thought about it, but it was like something, yeah, it came up from my like subconscious and it just had this voice, but I was just like, uh-uh, like I was just not, No. I was okay. not in, no. I was not there, I was just like, ignore, ignore, ignore. And um, yeah, then I think it was a good, probably a few, it was probably a good few years later before I even started really like thinking about it. Wow. Again. Outside of Stanthorpe or? Yeah, pro- mostly outside of Stanthorpe. So then I moved to Brisbane when I was 17 to go to university. Um, and yeah, it was just never really like, not really massively into relationships, although it's also hard to be into relationships when you're 
you know, not with the right person, let alone also like not the right gender at all. Ah, yeah, <laughs> so, right, yeah. Yeah, and sort of, you know, I remember having these like super short-term boyfriends and them like calling me and and being like, oh, hey, do you want to hang out? And be like, why do they keep calling me? Like, why is there a, what, what is the big deal about with this? Like, I don't get it. I just like, just leave me alone. Like, the one time just like ignoring um, this one guy, you know, he was a really good friend like through school and we dated for like two weeks at school and then we dated again at university and he said he was going to come over one day and I remember just sitting there like ignoring his calls like eight times in a row because I was just like, I just don't understand. Why he was calling. Like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, why does he want to keep spending time with me? I'm like, I saw him like three days ago. Like what's, like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> so look, I took a long while to come to the party. <laughs> and so when, what made you finally come to the party? Uh, I don't think I properly started dealing with it. Until the, the way that I started dealing with it was, so, you know, we drank a lot at university. Um, and, <laughs> well, that's actually, if anyone's listening, that is not the way to deal with it. <laughs> um, but um, I, I told a couple of my good friends, um, and so who, they, they were gay, the two, two who were at college together. And, um, and I remember my friend Nicole, and she was just, and I was like, I think I'm gay. And she's like, she's like, yes. And, and I was like, well, and she just wasn't surprised. And I just remember being so confused by like, why are you not more shocked? Like you should be really shocked. <laughs> this is a big deal. Basically, like we've known for years, but she also just believes that like every, everybody is gay anyway. So. Oh my God. My sister said that to me yesterday. Cause I said, mm, I suspect they're a lesbian. She's like, you think everyone is a well, lesbian? Well, yes. Yeah. Everybody's got it in them. <laughs> I think they do. I think tipped in the right direction. Exactly. Like, yeah. The right person. So, yeah, no, I just remember, like, her, yeah, not being surprised and then, you know, sort of have these, you know, semi-intoxicated conversations but then sort of forget about it while I was sober. Yeah. So I think it sort of, you know, just would tell people, like, on nights out and then pretend that it wasn't happening. And then I was – it was after university, so I was 21, 22 by this stage – and I ordered the box set of the L Word DVDs, like, to my house. And I remember when it arrived, I remember thinking, like, it's just going to have, like, the word lesbian, like, scrolled all over the box. Like, and everyone's going to know what it is. And it's Everybody like, knows. It's a blank box. It's going to be fine. And then, yeah, I told another friend one night when I was out. I don't know why this is a pattern. Um, and I was like, Martha, I'm gay. And, and I don't remember this, but I told her, but do not tell me tomorrow that I told you. I was like, do not ever tell me that I that I told you this. Anyway, we went on holidays to Central America together, like a year and a half later, and I was like, I need to tell her. Like, I I have to, I need to tell her. So it was we were on a six week trip. And so I think I told her in like the fifth week, and I'd been like working up to this and working up to this and just being like, Oh, how am I gonna tell her? And anyway, I told her over a drink one night and she's just like, she's like, yeah, actually you told me it's like the beginning of last year and you promised me, <laughs> and you made me promise not to tell you. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm here trying to look after myself, but I'm not doing a great job oh, of it. Oh no. <laughs> and no, she was amazing. Of yeah. course, everybody, you know, was basically amazing, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And so Central America, I read that you, I read that you're quite adventurous. Oh, you know, it depends on your definition of adventurous, but yeah, I like an occasional Jaunt outdoors, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I think you'd like, yeah, from, in my, um, like from my perspective, you, you definitely more than enjoy a jaunt outside. Um, what did you do in Central America? Was that volcanoes? Or? We climbed, um, yeah, we climbed a couple of volcanoes. We went volcano boarding, so it's like 
snowboarding but on the side yeah. of a volcano and then they have like a speed gun and they like bleep you on the way down to see how fast you're going having said that i did not go very fast i'm not really wow. like a speed team <laughs> yeah but yeah it was an incredible trip um i very almost stayed in guatemala to just they had um you could go and like live with families to learn spanish and yeah. i was this close to just staying there and, and living with this family and learning spanish and I have always wondered what my life would have been like if I actually did just decide to stay. Yeah. And then because I was, I was coming back to Australia to another uh, to another job. Um, and I've always wondered what would have happened if I'd stayed there. Yeah. still wonder. I think I'll well, wonder forever. Yeah, that would have been insane, wouldn't it? Mm. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about your rowing. Sure. And <laughs> you've rowed a lot. Yeah, I rode a lot recently. I used to row at university. That was only for like a year. Um, I thought getting up at like four o'clock in the morning was bad enough for like that time when we were just like training. But then, um, yeah, I watched a documentary called Losing Sight of Shore. Yeah. As far as I know, I think it's still on Netflix at the moment. So it's about four um, British women who rode the entire way across the Pacific. Uh, so they went from California to Hawaii. I think it was Hawaii to Samoa. And then Samoa to Cairns. And they only had like a week or two off in between each of the legs to just, you know, get food and whatever. Um, And I remember I I knew that people had rowed oceans before I watched that documentary. And I always thought it just sounded like the most terrible, awful type of of adventure you could possibly have. Yeah. And I didn't know why anybody would want to do it. And I finished watching this documentary. I think it was about January of this year. And I finished watching the documentary and I just looked at these four women and, and I thought, they're not that different to me. They're not, you know, none of them were, you know, super fit before. Like, you know, they were fit, but not not crazy fit. Um, you know, just mentally, they just seemed quite stable, like usual people. Mm. And uh, so I jumped straight on uh, the net afterwards and just started searching for teams that were going to row oceans. Yeah. And I, yeah, sent off an email. Um, they emailed back like a couple of days later and they said that their crew was full. And I sort of said, yeah, okay. And they said they put me on a reserve list, which I sort of thought was them just rejecting me in a yeah. really lovely way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, you know, we'll keep you in mind, but, you know, it's really not going to happen. Yeah, so I no then, offense. I completely forgot about it until uh, I think it was the 29th of March. And so at this stage it was only six or eight weeks before we had to be out in California. And I got this email and they said, look, our, our um, third crew member has dropped out. Are you still would you still be keen to go? And I read this email at about 11 o'clock at night and I remember my heart basically just stopped. My stomach dropped like, and I knew that I was, I knew as soon as I read the email that I had to go, I had no idea how any of the logistics would work. Um, You know, I've got a business at home in in Bundaberg, you know, didn't know what I was going to do with that. Didn't know anything about it, but I just had this. Yeah. I just knew that I had to go. Mm. And, um, so, yeah, and then we had to do a bunch of courses to get to the start line and then we left on the 6th of June. Wow. So what was it like? It was... So from the, I guess from the beginning, like, so did you not, you didn't know the girls? Didn't know the girls. So we so had a few, like, video calls and things before. That yeah. was, like, the next step was just having a video call with them and I thought, right, if I get on the video call and I don't like them, you know, and I don't you know, the vibes are not right. I'm definitely not going to go. But I, yeah. again, I knew probably within a couple of minutes, I was like, Oh, it's good. Like yeah. Yeah. it's going to, it's going to happen. Um, so yeah, we got out there. So yeah, we, so we rode from California to Hawaii. So 2,400 miles and it's really hard to explain the emotions 
because it's such a it's such a long period of time. So it took us. We were out there for 62 days, and so you just go through the absolute highest of highs, the lowest of lows, and everything in between. So it's every positive emotion, every negative emotion, sort of all rolled into one. Mm. It's yeah. It's I need to get better at trying to explain it, but it's very very <laughs> difficult. <laughs> so like, what what are the logistics of it? Like, when do you sleep, and where do you sleep? So yeah, the boat is it's about 25 foot. Um, her name was Danielle. She was beautiful. Um, and there's a cabin at each end. So there's the stern cabin is, is a bit bigger, so it can fit. Um, it's kind of the size of like a one man tent basically. Um, but, but probably a bit shorter again. Um, and then there's two rowing seats. So we rowed three hours on and then three hours off. And then we all rotated through, um, so yeah, for the for the duration, there were no sort of long sleeps. You'd get a two and a half hour block of time to sort of sleep, um, you know, and that was sort of in between our, our night shifts. And then during the day, sometimes it was better to just not really sleep at all because if you wake up in the middle of a REM cycle, you're just sort of really groggy and feel absolutely mm. awful. Um, so yeah, it was a long time to get used to the, the routine, but your body's incredible at just adapting and, and coping with whatever sort of situation you put it in. So it was interesting to learn, um, yeah, I guess how how you can adapt when I I wasn't even sure that I would be able to adapt at all. So, What about mentally? Like how do you prepare for that? Yeah, look, the lead-up was so fast. Um, I wouldn't say that I was completely stable for that entire time, (laughs) that's for sure. But, um, like, I remember the, the penny really dropped one day. I had to go to Sydney to do a sea safety survival course. It was one of six courses that I had to get done in this eight-week period. And we talked about, you know, men overboard drills, and they said, this is for a sailing boat that has a motor as well. If you go overboard at nighttime, you probably have less than a 15% chance of, of being recovered um, to that vessel. And then we were on a rowboat that has, you know, we've got no motor, we've got no other way to be able to get back to somebody, so... On a, on a rowing boat, if you go overboard, your chances of being recovered are just so, so slim. Um, and I remember when the penny really dropped about that and I had a lot of other people around me that they were very scared about this and they thought it was a very intimidating adventure and I was sort of thinking a lot of the time, you know, yeah, it'll be fine, like, you know, it should be right. Um, and then, yeah, the penny really dropped, I think, about the seriousness of what this adventure was that night and I think I had a little bit of a – had a yeah, reasonable mental breakdown, just like crying on the floor of my friend's apartment in the in the bathroom while while they were out. Yeah, um, yeah, for sort of like an hour or two that night, and then I think I kind of got it out of my system a little bit. Um, almost, I think, like a grieving process, perhaps for my for the possibility that that's something that that could happen. Yeah. So I did go into it, you know, knowing not necessarily being comfortable with, but knowing that perhaps it was a, a genuine possibility that we might not uh, return. So that was it's been very interesting to try and observe that process as well. And I've tried to sort of almost step away from myself and have a look at some of those thoughts and processes that we went through. Yeah. That's a, that's an intense thought like mm. that you might not return. It is like, and then, so we had, and then there were, there were many, I never had a moment on the boat that I, that I truly thought that, um, you know, that I truly thought my life was, was in danger, you know, when you have your life flashing before your eyes or anything like that. But there were certainly a high number of moments when you knew that were, that you were very at risk. So, you know, we rode through the night and sometimes when the, you know, when the weather's bad, the, the waves are really big. Um, 
and the moon's not out, you just can't see anything. So you can hear these the waves breaking, um, and then you sort of have these couple of seconds that you're waiting for this white water to hit the boat, and you don't know exactly what direction it's going to come from, you don't know how bad it's going to be, you don't know if it's going to capsize the boat. And so, yeah, you have these yeah times when you just don't really know yeah, exactly what's about to happen to you. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Um, but I think but having those regular or, like, semi-regular moments, I guess, of uncertainty, I don't know. I think it's changed my brain in some ways as well, like, in mostly in a good way, I think. But I think it's made it much more real. Like, it's made it, made it much more real, I think, that our lives are very short but I think it's been a in a in a positive way not in yeah. a way that it's just you know paralyzes you and like I just want to like curl up in a corner type of thing yeah so yeah there's been oh a, yeah a huge amount of learnings from it but I and I don't I don't know that I'd necessarily go again <laughs> really okay yeah like it's um I think sort of the risk continues to increase the more times you do something like that I'll certainly do other like long adventures but I think maybe that'll be that might be the one for ocean rowing yeah. ticked off and I got safely to the other side. Um, and then a lot of people that I've, you know, when I've seen them for the first time, the most frequent comment has been, you know, you survived or you didn't die and things like that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's been surprising the number of people I think that really had, um, yeah, like strong fears for us out there. And I didn't realize properly before we left, maybe how strong some of those fears were for others. So in some ways you're a bit of a dick for doing that to your (laughs) friends and family. Like when we spoke about that out there, that, you know, it's really one of the most selfish things you can do is, is, you know, cause we're out there, we know what's happening to us. We know if we're okay or not okay. But then our poor friends and family back on land are just sort of you know, they know that there's a hurricane, you know, a couple hundred miles from us and they don't know what's what's happening. So, yeah, look, it's, <laughs> it's life-changing but yeah. And a dick move. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a dick move. <laughs> so was it just the three of you? There was no one else? Like, So we so we were – see, we were in a race. So it's the Great Pacific Race. Six crews were supposed to start. One dropped out before, before the beginning. Um, there are another two crews that they dropped out in the first – week um you know one of them capsized they had to re- retire for medical reasons and the skipper of the other boat also had to retire for medical reasons so then there were only only three of us mm. there was a safety yacht out there and they'd come and visit every sort of few days and just sort of check on us but then they weren't out there sort of for the last half of the the trip um so yeah for the majority of it we were alone and the way that you get rescued once you're too far from for a helicopter to be able to reach you from land um, is you have to rely on passing ships. So if you capsize, um, you know, if you have to inflate your life raft or whatever it is, the only way that you will get rescued is by a, a cargo ship or, or something like that, other, other boats that are out there, and they're pretty few and far between. So that was the other risky part as well. That is frightening. That, yeah. Yeah, it's frightening to me. Like, And they'll, they'll send – so they – they would send an aeroplane over to try to identify your position, but the aeroplane still can't land. So even if the aeroplane can can identify where you are, you, you're still reliant on a ship. Yeah. And the other thing is, so imagine the size of a cargo ship and this giant cargo ship and huge waves is the thing that has to come alongside you and you have to try and get on board this giant cargo ship is actually, um, you know, one of, one of the guys who actually did our race, he had to get rescued once and they had to make sort of three passes and he very nearly died I think a couple of times because the cargo ship it 
they bounce up and down in the waves as well. So if you get underneath like the back of the ship and it comes down on top of you, it's, you know, so it's like you think that the, the ship is going to be your rescue, but it's actually like some of the worst parts are probably yet to come if you ever got to that, that situation as well. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, yeah, scary things about it. Yeah. Having said that, there are a lot of really good times as well. It wasn't all bad. Tell me, tell me some good times. Like, what, what's the ocean like? Like, where then there's no one else around. It's truly one of the most incredible things I think you can experience. Like, I think if you, yeah, if you ever get the chance, I think everybody should go and mm. should should see it. Having, there's no other situation when you have so much space because it's just completely flat all around you. You can see every single cloud. You know, realizing. Um, you know, realising that you are completely alone but just feeling so okay in that space, like mm. that was a really um, significant moment, you know, that I had one night, you know, the middle of the night, rowing at like 3.30 in the morning, pitch black, um, pumping like we had speakers on the deck that you could like blast music and that was one of the ways we got through the night time. But I just remember like blasting um, Foo Fighters one night and just rowing along at 3.30 in the morning. It was just one of the best feelings and just thinking, you know, if I can be happy out here on the ocean where it's like the – a really inhospitable environment then I was like you know what I think everything's gonna gonna be okay yeah wow was there like animals like I'm thinking like I just saw the Meg with my nephew oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of like giant octopus like yeah, giant yeah. sharks anything like that oh like, I wish so we, we saw like a couple of whales at the start I saw a shark like jump out of the water on like a, a few days from the end there were a lot of birds, a lot more birds than I thought, but we kind of had a really long period in the middle where we really didn't see a lot of wildlife. So actually the wildlife was one of the things we thought we'd see a lot more and yeah. it was, yeah, there was, look, I'm sure it was out there. We just weren't seeing it. That's yeah. All. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cause that's like in my mind when you're talking about this, I'm like, what about the massive sharks that are going to kill you? Like, yeah. Yeah. And just eat you alive. So. Yeah. So we, yeah, there was only one that we really saw. So it was like chasing this fish hit the side of our boat and it like split its head open. And then there was this shark like chasing it around, um, sort of near our boat, but it wasn't, it wasn't really that big. So it mm. wasn't the Meg. <laughs> <laughs> Phew. <laughs> You'll be relieved to know, or maybe not. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know. Like, cause yeah, when you're telling me this story, I'm like, I would just, in my mind, I think my mind would be bad out there because I'd just be thinking there'd be stuff coming up Yeah, from and underneath. There's, there's stuff like, um, so we had to get out of the boat and clean it as well. So you have to um, you have to scrape the bottom of the boat because it helps you go a lot faster. Yeah. Like it's not, you don't get barnacles, but there's just like this, it's like a film that grows on it and you scrape the boat, it looks like you've done nothing and then all of a sudden you gain a half a knot or a knot afterwards. It's like magic. But, yeah, so we had to get in the water. Um, it was freezing, freezing cold. And I just remember getting in there and you've got your snorkel mask and just sort of like looking around and, you know, keeping an eye out to see if there was anything there. Um, never saw a shark while I was in the water, but I did get stung by a, by a Portuguese man of war jellyfish, which was not a highlight. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's fascinating to me, this, this thing like that you've done. Like, yeah. Like, and were you, uh, You've got the Guinness World Record or? We, yeah, so we, so we set two. So we are, so we're the first crew of three, male or female, to row the Pacific. And we're the youngest crew of three to row any ocean in the world. So, yeah, that's pretty exciting. Um, 
but yeah, it's not, we didn't do it for the records. Like we knew that they were, um, that they were up for grabs. Like if mm. we were, you know, successful in getting to the other side, it's kind of just like, it's a nice like cherry on top. But if, um, yeah, if there were no records up for grabs, I still, yeah, still, still would have done, done it, it anyway. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. And so now you're just, you're back home, just living life. <laughs> yeah. Was that an adjustment? It is certainly an adjustment being home. Um, one of the biggest things was the level of communication. So we we could text out there using this device, like it's like a Garmin inReach. Um, and we only had a handful of people that we were sort of texting. Um, and then getting back to land and all of a sudden you've got, you know, WhatsApp and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and Messenger and everything and then all of a sudden there's just these messages coming from left right and center and we'd had this absolutely beautiful like digital detox for you know a good couple of months yeah and just coming back it was just a bombardment I've still probably got messages there that I you know am still yet to reply to I think so realizing I think how happy and calm you are when you're completely disconnected Mm. and then having to come back and there's this expectation from society for you to in contact 100% of the time yeah was that was by far the most difficult thing getting back mm. gotcha I can yeah imagine. Like, it, you're sorry I was gonna say yeah I think the I think we all need to do much more regular sort of digital detoxes because oh, it's just I think yeah the, the calmness that you feel is yeah. I, I just don't know that you can get it while you're just so constantly connected. Yeah, and I guess too you didn't have to be anywhere. You didn't have to. No, you've, you've got no meetings. Yeah. You've got no, you know, no place to be. You're not meeting anyone. Any, yeah, it's you, you've got you've got nothing. Like you wake up and you do your three three hour rowing shift. You get off, you eat, you go to sleep again for a little bit, and then you row, and then that's all. That's the entirety of your yeah. responsibility. So it's both super frustrating and it's like the the most difficult life and the easiest life that you can have all at the same time yeah it's incredible it's an incredible story (laughs) that you've actually done that like I just can't even believe it yeah it feels it feels weird it kind of feels like it's a very detailed long dream that I had in some ways it kind of feels like it never even really happened because it's just so far removed from everything else that I do have to pinch myself and I do wonder was that actually real or mm. was I, did I imagine the whole thing? Did you learn anything that you didn't know about yourself? Yeah, definitely. Um, learned a lot of things, I guess. Not necessarily something that I didn't, not necessarily about myself, I think, but one of the hugest learnings was just about that, the consistency in showing up, you know, we so yeah we rode three hours on three hours off and there were so many times you know particularly I had a, my a shift that was two thirty a.m. to five thirty a.m. and you know hearing that alarm go off at like twenty past two in the morning like every single night for like sixty two days and you know and that's the the time when you just you just don't want to you just don't want to go you don't you don't want to get out of bed you don't want to be out there and you know sort of just making yourself get out of the cabin. And I'd fall asleep on shift, like, you know, sometimes you'd just be so tired that, you know, you can, you know, you don't even really feel like you're being that effective. Mm. Um, But, you know, if you just keep showing up and you just do a little bit and you just, even if it's absolutely tiny and minuscule, if you keep repeating the same tiny, tiny, minuscule action enough times, you will achieve something absolutely monumental. 
you know, that every single one of those oar strokes, no matter how many, how shitty so many of them were, they all added up. They yeah. all completely add up. So now I think um, that sense of consistency and discipline is a lot better now than it was before. Um, and sort of uh, big lessons about delayed gratification as well because, you know, we were out there and there's no – I think it took me until about day 40 to stop trying to motivate myself with food. So I'd be on shift and I'd be like, after this, I'm going to go to the bakery and I'm going to get a sausage roll and a cream bun or whatever. <laughs> and then I'd be like, oh, after this, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to the pub with Kat and we're going to have a beer and have, and then we're going to go for fish and chips or something. Anyway, 40 days it took before my brain finally realized that those things weren't an option. So, you know, all the things like, you know, you can't go and have a shower if you're cold you're, you know, the bedding is all just completely wet because you're in the ocean. Everything's just wet all the time. There's no dry towels. There's no dry bed. There's no showers. There's no good food. You can't leave and go for a walk. You can't go home to your partner. You can't just like everything mm. that is not that you normally use or that I would normally use to motivate myself was gone. And then, so just, I guess having that, that thing that's okay, what I do today, what I do now actually matters, even though it seems like it's completely pointless, but this is going to add up to something down the track. Yeah. And that's certainly a lesson that, you know, I'm trying to bring home and trying to remember that. But having said that, even still, you know, trying to wake up at six o'clock or something now and just like, oh, it's so hard, it's cold, I don't want to. I'm like, are you really the same person that was out there that was like waking up at 2.30? Wow. Yeah. I, I woke up at five this morning and I felt that too. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> It's hard. <laughs> it is, yeah. So your business in Bundaberg is, what's your business called? Our business is called The Generator. So we're a co-working space and innovation hub and our whole mission is to be able to support founders and startups in their journeys. So, And, yeah, so, like, uh, I guess what do you, like, what happens? Like, That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> the whole reason, so the reason that we started the business was, uh, so I used to be a physiotherapist. And I think I knew fairly quickly that that really wasn't the job for me. Um, I just needed to have a lot more creativity. And I went to Bali a few years ago and I worked out of a co-working space there and was just surrounded by these super creative, awesome, motivated people that were, you know, creating their own futures. And, uh, and I knew that I was going back to Bundaberg at the end of that month. And I just knew that when I got back there, I just thought, I don't have these type of people. These type of people aren't around me there. And so we ended up building the generator to to build a community of really awesome people that wanted to go out there and, and do their own thing, basically. Mm. Um, so, yeah, now we've got a really cool community of people. And then there's, like, extended communities as well, um, you know, all across Queensland, down here in Brisbane as well. And, yeah, just being surrounded by awesome people all the time is one of the best things. Yeah. And do you, like, inspire them with, like, your stories and stuff? Like- um, I haven't. I think they get they probably get sick of hearing me talk, so I actually haven't exposed them to anything since I've been back. Um, but yeah, like we just yeah we just try and support them and you know connect them with other entrepreneurs and founders that are kind of going through similar things. Like it's such a it's such an emotional mental journey mm. starting a business. So um, yeah, it's sort of creating a support network for them, I suppose. Yeah, that's good. No, like it just is it's madness to me. Like that you would have been able to do this and then sitting here in my house, like. Yeah. A normal person. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I think – I don't know how to describe it probably, but, you know, I think everyone looks at this ocean roll and they're like, oh, it's in- incredible and, and I don't know how you did it and all these type of things. But, you know, I'm – I'm, I'm not any, I'm not any different to anybody else. Like I was, 
you know, I, I was the most unfit that I'd ever been before I left. Like I'd put on a lot of weight, like after we started the business, you know, just being really stressed. I just wasn't, you know, looking after myself very well. Um, and was just, yeah, I was just doing, yeah, I was, yeah, burning candle at both ends and it just, yeah, it wasn't, yeah, I was, I definitely wasn't in a great place. I think that was the other reason that I was sort of really looking for the row as well was, you know, I was having a lot of, um, I wouldn't say depression necessarily. Um, but yeah, there were certainly times before the row. Yeah. And before it even came up that, um, yeah, I was really uh, struggling big time, I think with my own mental health. And, um, so I think I was also looking at that as it was an escape in a way. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was, maybe it was a, it was a reason and a, and a, a way that I could give myself maybe permission to be able to step away from the business as well. It was a big sort of source of, of a lot of the stress and things like that. How'd your partner take it? Oh yeah. So Kat, we, um, <laughs> so I told, I told her originally, I told her originally that I'd sent the email and she's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like I'm always coming up with like harebrained schemes. So half the time, like she doesn't really take me seriously. I'll be like, let's go to move to Antarctica next week and we'll live with the penguins. And she's like, yeah, right. Whatever. <laughs> And then, like, unless we're, like, actually on the plane to Antarctica, it's like, okay, yeah. we'll just, like, wait and see what happens. Um, so I told her originally, I think she sort of, you know, just forgot about it. And then I got the email. And so, yeah, we were, so we're both in bed, 11 o'clock at night. And I said to her, I was like, you are not going to believe the email that I just got. And I told her, you know, that the girls have said, you know, do you want to join the row? And I said to her, I was like, I know that I've got to do it. And she was sort of like, I don't know why you have to do these things, but, like, fine, whatever. And then we sort of just sort of, we didn't talk about it a lot over the next couple of days. Cause I said, look, let's just wait until I talk to them because if they're psychopaths, like I'm not going to go and it might all be over in three days. So there's no point in us, you know, going through all this, this stuff if yeah. it's not actually going to happen. Um, so it was, it was Easter time. Actually, we were around at my sister's place. I left there early to go and talk to the girls and then Kat got home later after I got off the call and again, so me knowing after five minutes that it, it had gone really well and I knew that I was going to go, I was sort of, I was, I was a little bit scared of, I guess, having that conversation because it yeah, meant that I was going to be away for a few months. It's very risky as well. Um, and I walked downstairs and I was like, right, I've got to, you know, we've got to have this conversation and, um, and we were going to make the decision together as well. Like I wasn't just going to say, right, like I'm going and, mm. and I don't care what you think. So it was definitely a decision we were making together. Um, and I was sort of ready to have a long, you know, heavy conversation about it. And I said to her, look, the girls are amazing. Like, I know I have to go. And she just looked at me and said, I, I know you've got to go. Like, off you go. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Off you go. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, within five or ten minutes, she was just like, yeah. She's like, yeah, I know. And, you know, I'll be there alongside you. And um, so then she's like... <laughs> So then not only was she just so supportive in that way, so she also then stepped up to do a lot of, like, the admin side of the business while I was gone as well, mm. so Kat's a physio. Uh, so she was, you know, working all day and then coming home and then answering, like, all of our emails and doing all of that as well. So I, yeah, I couldn't ask for any more support. Yeah. But possibly. So, yeah, she's, yeah, and she's, got an extremely calm demeanor which is good for me because um I do have these quite crazy ideas and I'm constantly mm. just going like well why can't I go to the moon tomorrow like I don't <laughs> I don't see any barriers whatsoever <laughs> and she's sort of very like realistic and grounded but then also um 
kind of like, yeah, picks me up, I suppose, when I come crashing down from these ridiculous highs. And yeah, so she's, also, she's a trooper. I don't know how she, how she puts up with me, if I'm totally honest. Yeah, but it sounds great, though. She like gives you kind of what you need, but also... Yeah, like she she knows that she's got it, that I've got to, uh, you know, I've got to be allowed to sort of dream these big things because if I'm not allowed to, or if, you know, if I was with someone that, you know, was just like, you know, no, don't have those thoughts and don't think about that. So mm. she knows that I need to at least be able to dream and have these, have these big things, but then also she's the realist as well yeah. to be able to, and, and she really hits that. Yeah. She hits the balance really well. Yeah. That sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. And so, so you spoke to her during the trip. Yeah, so we'd so we'd message every day. Yeah. We had one um, we had one satellite phone call, I think two weeks before I got to Lens, this is after about week seven. And we answered the phone, so the satellite, the, the call reception is just really crappy. And we've gotten on the phone and Kat's like, Oh, I'm just so tired. And I was like, You're <laughs> tired. <laughs> And anyway, so we had this like six minute call and we were just in this complete like a mismatch for this call because we had, we just like couldn't really hear properly and all sorts of things. And anyway, so I got off the phone and I'm ranting to the other girls going like, and Kat said that she was tired. <laughs> and then when I got to land a few weeks later, I figured out that she'd actually said, oh, you must be so tired. Oh. And so she says, not that I didn't go off at her on the phone, but we were all like on the boat. With even with Kaz's partner Gareth as well, so he's like trying to book flights over, and Kaz normally does a lot of this stuff. So then she's freaking out about about what Gareth's doing. So for us, these like little moments as well would become really massive moments yeah. because it's all we had were these a few texts and a few like random phone calls and whatever else. So like even the tiniest thing was just huge. So anyway, we all like laughed about it in the end. But I was just like, she thinks she's tired. <laughs> she even know what we're doing. <laughs> And she hadn't said anything like it. So anyway. Oh, poor thing. Uh, that's incredible. I love that. I think that's it. Yeah. I think, are you happy with that? Yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. I think you've, to I think you've told me more in such a short time than I thought I would get from you. <laughs> like, I thought it would take longer yeah, to get yeah. that from you. But yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just seems like a really intense journey. And I... In in a good way, I mean. Like yeah, it's not oh, it is. like, And then, so the other cool thing that happened was we had, so, so it was nine weeks. The first three weeks I was really seasick and it's sort of almost just like a blur of just trying to figure out how the hell do you live in this environment. And then the next three weeks, once we'd sort of learnt to live out there, I feel like I had this period of just processing almost everything that had happened in the, in the few years mm. before. And so sort of they were processing like a lot of things to do with the business and all sorts of things. And finally feeling like I'd gotten through this backlog of just information and stuff that had happened. And then this really interesting thing happened at the end of the, or during the sixth week where it was like my brain had gotten through this backlog and it just got to this place where there was just nothing. And then you sort of get to find out it was really interesting to get to find out where does your mind go when you have no other input, you're, you know, you're not like scrolling through any like social feeds, you're not at work, you don't have the same people around, you know, you don't have these different people around you, different places. And so your mind just literally has nothing and it was a completely blank canvas. And to go through this experience of finding out, it's almost like finding out who you, you know, really are I guess 
at the core of yourself when you just don't have anything else, I guess, that's being applied yeah. to you was a really interesting, interesting experience. Did anything change when you got back? Like, did you change anything in your life majorly? Yeah, like, um, uh, there's, there's some thing that are, there's some things that are in a, in the process of changing at the moment. Um, but yeah, I probably, I can't go into the details of some of them just yet, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely having a, an enormous impact on my life. Mm. And, um, I guess it's just being able to identify what things that and how I'm supposed to be spending my time. Uh, you know, I think it is really important to, you know, learn to maximize your strengths, I think, and really figure out, you know, just trying to figure out who are you supposed to be in the world and what are you supposed to give and bring into the world. And I guess being able to identify some more of those things. And I feel like for me at the moment, it is actually just spreading, you know, sort of using, using this crazy adventure experience to then have a, there's a lot of life learnings from that and to be able to share that, um, you know, I feel incredibly privileged and lucky to have been able to go on this Mm. experience. Like, you know, really we're just sort of standing on the shoulders of all the people that have gone before us. And that's true in so many ways. And it's true for me as well, you know, and the people that were able to support me at home to even for me to be able to go and have this experience. So it's, you know, by no measure of me doing this alone that it, it has happened. And so I sort of feel like it's my, you know, my obligation, but I use obligation in a really positive sense, um, to be able to, I guess, yeah, to be able to, to, to share some things about that and create, um, you know, particularly sort of, I think for me, it's writing about it as well and being able to tell some of those stories and share some of the learnings. So do you write about it? I do. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, so I've, I've been writing, every day. I don't always end up writing about the rose. Sometimes it's about the rose. Sometimes it's not, but there's actually, um, in the month of November, it's national novel writing month and it's a global, it's a global movement. Yeah. Um, where you try to write a book of at least 50,000 words in the month of November. So it works out to be 1,667 words a day. I may have done the calculations. Um, <laughs> you strike me as someone who would do the calculations. Um, and so, yeah, for the month of, so basically for the month of November, I'm intending to write a, 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 it'll be a very loose first draft, but to get a first draft about the row done and written, because there are just, there's just such a volume of things that happened that, you know, I don't want to leave it too long and, and lose it. So, and I've, I've written, I've written one book before, um, I haven't completely finished it. It needs some more sort of tweaking and things like that. And that's about a cycle trip that I did a few years ago. And, um, yeah, so it's certainly, I, yeah, I think I realized out there that writing is certainly something that I'm supposed to be doing more mm. of, or at least writing is something I'm supposed to be doing a lot of in this period of my life. And then maybe three years from now, I won't be a writer anymore and I'm going to be something different again. Yeah. I think there'll be a lot of iterations. Yeah. So yeah, I'm trying to, um, I think I'm just trying to follow those inclinations a little bit more where if you feel that, you know, you're drawn towards something to just follow it and step towards that, that thing and just keep taking a step forward and sort of saying like, Oh, does that feel right? Yeah, it feels right. Okay. Take another step. Does that one feel right? And Mm. then if it doesn't feel right, you know, you can take it back and try and go in a different direction, but yeah, just little, like little steps towards whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that's the thing, isn't it? People get stuck in whatever they're doing and they're so afraid to move forward or sideways or, or anything. Yeah. And the other thing is like, I think particularly as grownups, we have such an expectation of ourselves to be good at everything at Mm. the, at the start, you know, as kids and teenagers, 
we're very good at being in that that learning phase and just being shitty at things because you know that that's how you're supposed to be yeah. at that stage and you've got a lot of people around you telling you it's okay because you're still learning. And then you get to this stage of, you know, of adulthood and you've finished study or you've finished your, you know, training or, you know, in whatever job it is you're doing and feeling like that you can't start something else because you're because you're not a master at it. And I think it's really important to I think we need to renormalize that learning period and that period of just being really shitty. Mm. So at the moment I'm trying to write about a thousand words a day and most of them are complete bullshit. Like it's just like <laughs> I had a burrito for lunch. It had lettuce, tomato and sour, you know, like, you know, but then it's like, you've got to write the shitty Gripping. stuff. Yes. <laughs> I'll, write a, I'll write a whole book about burritos if you like. Um, but you know, you have to write the shit yeah. to be able to get anything that's of substance. So I think you've got to, I think it's really about pushing through that stage where you know that you're bad at it and you're not even really liking it that much because the gold is on the other side of that. Mm. And, you know, and it's, so it's okay. It's okay to be crap at something, but, you know, stick with it, I yeah. guess, if you're, if you're so inclined. If you really hate it, obviously don't do it. Don't do it, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. it's true. Like, because it's like even I was saying with this podcast, like it's I had to do something and so I yeah. did this and it's turned out pretty good. Exactly. So, yeah. And you just, you know, you just do one thing like at the beginning. It's like, I'm just going to do like one episode and see what happens or I'm just going to write one chapter or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, okay. And then you do another one. It just keeps adding up. Yeah. And then and all of like, a sudden you're how many seasons in, right? Well, this is the third one. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so like, I think like, you know, you meet so many more interesting people and, and your life kind of takes sort of twists and turns, like even even with this, like meeting people doing this. So. Yeah. Like, and I think every, I don't know, every conversation, I think every, every conversation, everything you watch, everything you read has the capability to change the future course of your life. Just mm. if you, if you allow it to do that. Yeah. So yeah, I think the things we consume and the things we expose ourselves to are so incredibly, incredibly important. Um, but I think it's having an openness to those things to be able to be influenced. And, you know, I never thought I'd be a freaking ocean rower. Like I'm like, a, I'm a pale ginger person. Like I'm not supposed to do outdoor activities and, you know, so oh, I don't know. The, the sky's the limit, but I think, yeah, we, we're very easily, we put ourselves in boxes and we allow other people to put us in boxes as well. And I think those things we consume, yeah, whether it's, you know, podcast books, documentaries are the things that can help us break down those barriers and just, see ourselves maybe as different potential versions of ourselves. Yeah. Instead of going like, hey, you know, I could be a carpenter next week if I want to be. Like, yeah. You know? Absolutely. I'd yeah. actually love to be a carpenter. <laughs> that would be actually pretty cool. I think it would be. That's so lesbian. Yeah. Isn't it? Like, <laughs> four years of like, I've created, I've built all the furniture in my apartment. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's really uncomfortable, but I did make it myself. <laughs> so you will enjoy it. Thank yes. you. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. Like, because even like, I want to teach myself guitar and I was like, I'm thinking like, well, that should be pretty easy. Like, yeah. you know, because you think you've got to get into that mindset first up rather yeah. than not, well, God, I'm not even going to know how to do it. Yeah, but. exactly. You just say, right, I'm going to do like 15 minutes a day and it doesn't matter if all of it just, yeah, is twangy and shit. Yeah. But, you know, if you keep just doing 15 minutes a day and yeah. then if you do, what if you did 15 minutes a day for, you know, a month, how much better would you be? If you did 15 minutes a day for six months, imagine how much better you'd be. Yeah. And like that, that you know, that adding up effect, that compounding effect. Yeah, and just keep going and going and going. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.